Hello, I'm Anna Bogutskaya. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. Today, we kick off the first episode of the second season, Asylum. The episode introduces the season's main cast, reporter Lana Winters, and her plight to expose Sister Jude's sadistic, insane asylum, Kate Walker's unjust commitment to this institution, and Dr. Arden's experiments. Mahaha. Uh, that's going to be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot. It's so much. We're going to go some places, everyone. Oh, yeah. This is where, like, shit gets dialed up to about 13. Like, it was at 11 with Murder House, and here it's like, oh, well, you know, we, we need to take it up a few notches. So, to start running us through this episode, which is titled Welcome to Briarcliff, we first start in the present day, in 2012, which is also when the series premiered. And we meet a newlywed couple played by... Uh, oh boy. The most... Uh, I, can't, I can't say this with a serious... I, like, I've, I've closed my... This is bad podcast content, but I've, like, I've literally got my eyes closed in disbelief at what I'm about to say. It is a couple played by Jenna Dewan Tatum, fabulous dancer and actress. Well... The Tatum is gone now, but at the time it was Tatum? At the time it was Tatum, yes. And mm-hmm. Adam Levine, the lead singer of Maroon 5. So let's just let that sink in. I mean, this was 2012. Was Did, did that make a difference that it was 2012? I mean, was he... Was he so... I mean, he's... I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think no. Just no. Mm-hmm. The man <laughs> Just, is not an actor. No. <laughs> the man is not an, a thespian by any stretch of the imagination. Not a thespian, and also not a memorable, uh, not a memorable song writer or singer. Because I, I can't remember a single Maroon Five song. Apologies to Maroon Five fans. I can't. What? What did they do? She must be loved. What's wait? No, this love, this love was their like big breakthrough. This love, how did it go? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how it went. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) to be honest, if your biggest contribution to music is are your hip bones, maybe to reconsider. Oh, yeah, so they play a couple who yes. on their honeymoon. On their horror honeymoon tour. Because her idea of like pure romanticism is to bang in the 12 most haunted places in America. Yes, and this is a direct quote, by the way. Yes, which I was thinking about that. And I hate it because that means that they had sex in the Winchester Mystery House, which is the last place anyone oh. should be having sex in. 
this this kind of um whole scene, the dynamic between them, I like I I love Janet One. I love Step Up, one of the greatest dance mm-hmm. franchises that was ever made. But having this lovely, very capable actress, performer, say the lines, we should totally do it in the death shoot is it's not okay. <laughs> I think this reason this scene irritated me so much is because um, I am a massive fan of horror and true crime and I would 100% go on a horror honeymoon tour. Like, yes, please. But it does, like, just having sex in places that remind you of massive amount of anguish and pain and death and then saying that that is because and I quote mummy is a horror freak I I don't think I don't feel represented by this character no because this isn't a horror fan this is somebody with like a horror fetish it's like a death fetish yeah yeah, because it it definitely it definitely like specifically arouses her because when they hear uh they hear a bang and mm. and and she goes ooh maybe that's bloody face because that's the that's the serial killer who's meant to have been mm. um in in this in this uh, mental institution and and they're running to go find the noise and she says you could totally put it in my ass right now. Yeah. Uh, What a weird thing to say. Yes, and also definitely not a line ever written by a woman. (laughs) No. I think, like, you know, to to really drill down into Adam Levine's character in this, uh, I hate him, spoiler alert, mostly because of the fact that he is... So they're taking pictures of each other, taking pictures of, you know, the abandoned side of Briarcliff. And he... Uh, he cannot hold a fucking camera. Like, he doesn't know how to hold a camera. <laughs> I didn't notice that. And I have a big bee in my bonnet about this, okay? He, like, I, I'm a big fan of photography. I did photography. But weirdly, both of my ex-boyfriends were photographers. Amazing. And he's holding a Leica camera, which is one of the most expensive and um, adored machines <laughs> of taking pictures and he cannot fucking hold her properly and I find that like, just offensive like it irks me so much when someone cannot even like do some research Adam know how to properly hold a camera if you're pretending to play a photographer or someone who has enough money and knowledge to buy yourself a Leica camera to like you're insulting Leica specifically to take pictures of you have sex in haunted houses yes you don't really need a Leica camera for that babes like you really don't just an iPhone will do I think yeah <laughs> so, sorry I'm like so fixated on this Adam Levine character who I hate so much I, I like this like really specific rage <laughs> Oh, another thing. Sorry, <laughs> like I just ma- I made like a whole page of notes just in this like five minute scene. <laughs> Is that when when they have sex in on like the um, the stirrups 
bit. I don't know what it's called. Death shoot. Oh no, that's the thing they put the. What is was it the death, death shoot? shoot? No, the death shoot was something else. They find like this room which was clearly like used for some sort of like medical procedures. And there's like one of those um, medical doctor tables on mm. there. They start having sex and Adam Levine spits on his hand, <sighs> but he does not take her underwear off. And again, the lack of commitment to this bullshit character, I find offensive. Don't give me one detail here and then not do the most basic elementary thing, like take off your new wife's underwear. Didn't have time. Sorry, like I have gotta put it in right now. (laughs) Don't have time. Don't have time to take the underwear. I just gotta put the dick in now. (laughs) Ah That's the thing. It's just like they just like immediately Like that's how turned on she is by this this murder place. (laughs) Or the both of them are so turned on. It's just like Yeah I don't know. I just wrote germs. They're fucking in germs. This <laughs> is also true. The people have bled like, no. and shit themselves and weed themselves on that. Most certainly, it's a looks like a really a place where many unpleasant and bodily functionally things have happened, and you don't even wipe it down. Maybe this is because we we are recording this in a post-corona world. So, like, I'm gonna be bringing my that all yeah. wipes everywhere with me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really want to spray that shit down before you start getting butt naked on it. Exactly. Like that's just she basic hygiene. Full ass on it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so they're supposedly in this abandoned old mental institution, but you know, because this is American Horror Story. They do the old, I'm going to put my arm down this chute and it's empty and lols. And then Adam Levine's arm gets uh, cut off by someone or something. Uh, So tragedy strikes. We need to put the specific detail while she's giving him a blowjob as a a reward for him looking in the tiny dark hole. Yes, he is a very brave man (laughs) because he puts his arm in a dark hole. And she goes, I shall reward you with a blowjob for your bravery, sir. I don't like this couple at all. <laughs> no, I I hate them so much. <laughs> Which is, I just want to make a clarification. No, we are separating the actors and the characters they are portraying in this. I feel no resentment towards oh, yeah. what they're doing. But her character is awful. <laughs> I'm just saying she deserved better Yes. than getting married to Adam Levine. <laughs> Do we think he is he just playing himself in this? I'm sorry, no, no, I take it. Oh no, I, I don't mean, know Adam Levine. I don't know anything about his <laughs> I take it back. Don't sue me. Yeah, I don't want to get sued, but also I just want to just just say one thing from the heart and like with a lot of you know, I mean not a lot with respect, if not love. Don't act. I mean, look, not everybody can be Lady Gaga. Sometimes you just got to be Adam Levine. Also, don't take photographs. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> yes. Not in a like a camera. Yes. <laughs> don't handle cameras. Put it down. Give it to someone. Give it to someone who has always wanted a like a camera. Like yeah. me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Moving on. I feel like we should mention 
the new, new credits sequence. I just want to say my favorite thing about the new credit sequence is um, so they have a lot of like sort of you know asylum-y themed imagery like there's people in gowns getting injected and having sex on on mm. wheelie mm. things the thing the wings they wheel people around in um uh but my favorite bit is there's a statue of the virgin mary who it, it keeps coming back to i think a couple of times but in the last <laughs> yes. shot she has a little evil grin yes. she goes me <laughs> yes and then her eyebrows kind of like go down to do like an evil little face and it's just like very cute. I don't. I think maybe they messed up the effect on that because I know it was meant to be scary. But every time I watch the credit sequence, <laughs> like my brain makes the sound effect. <laughs> it's me, evil oh legendary. <laughs> you know what? I never noticed that. It's right at the end. No, I know. I know what you mean, but I never like noticed the the little eyebrows move. Or I thought I was just like imagining her grinning. No, she's a little good. That's amazing. Me. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1964, we're introduced in the next scene to Kit Walker, who is played by Evan Peters, who played Tate Langdon in the last season. And here is a very cute all-American gas station attendant. What did you make of this uh, of this character introduction to Kit? He's just like from Greece, isn't he? <laughs> He's from the movie Greece. <laughs> He's got the hair, yes. he's got the jacket, he's like singing at one point, being like, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wrote Grease in my notes. <laughs> like, amateur production of Grease. We don't get that much info of him at the gas station, but then when he goes back to his home, we learn that he is happily married to a, to a black woman. And I mentioned this because this is very clearly still a taboo in that particular state. I don't remember what state they're supposed to be, where Briarcliff is, is based, but it, interracial marriages w- are are still illegal at that point, I think. Yeah, I think Briarcliff is meant to be in Massachusetts. I don't know if the kit is also right. meant to be in Massachusetts, but... Um... Yeah, it is illegal in the state that they're in because they mention going to uh, a different. Do they say Prov- Providence or something? They say that they've they've gone somewhere else to get married. So the the yeah. marriage is legal, but because it is illegal in the state that they're in, mm-hmm. uh, that is obviously putting them at risk of yeah an attack, basically. And it's important to note this as well that in the in the previous kind of at the gas station, Kid is met there by his buddies, and his buddies are trying to get him to go and harass a black man for fun, basically. And Kid obviously says no and stuff, but there is there is the very kind of the weight of racial issues in America at that in that in that particular time. It's very much kind of put at the forefront. And then well okay, thing that's something we haven't mentioned explicitly yet, but um there's a lot of sex in this episode. <laughs> like every, I feel like every other scene is a sex scene. So they have sex. 
So it's we have two sex scenes and it's maybe been like five minutes. Yes, but also their sex scene is really lovely and it's really idyllic. It really and it's sweet. like, you know, they're like, they're also sort of implied to be newlyweds to a degree. Like their marriage might still be very new. And they're just yeah. really, they're really cute and they're so beautiful. And, the, you know, he comes back home from the gas station in his grease outfit and she's like, looks gorgeous and she's cooking a roast dinner. And it's like all very all Americana from the 60s. And they're just super cute and super hot and they have sex and then they're like chilling in their house. Compared to the like nasty germ sex we just watched. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the contrast because they're all. It's like two sets of newlyweds, and then we have the like, yeah, yeah let's go fuck it at asylum, <laughs> and then we have this beautiful like loving, like I just love you so much. I want to express my love to you. Beautiful sex scene. <laughs> no, you're right. There is there is a lot of sex in this episode. So what happens next is sort of not explained, but there's some sort of unexplained phenomenon. <clears throat> aliens it's very x filey so there's a lot of like a big beam of light and whooshing and kid thinks there might be intruders and it might be his racist friends who are trying to harass them it might not be and Alma sort of disappears and kid is knocked out yes gizmo from gremlins would say bright light it's very bright light <laughs> <laughs> You know, Gremlins are just bright light. <laughs> yeah. um, um, and gravity, gravity goes weird, so he he ends up on the ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is like alien abduction one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. Like it's pretty obvious there are aliens. So you know, that's a, that's another thing. So we've got okay. So we've got serial killers. <laughs> we've got aliens. It's been it's been about seven minutes. <laughs> Yeah, you've like barely settled down with your cup of tea and your biscuit already. <laughs> There's been two sex scenes, a serial killer and an alien abduction, <laughs> and <Yes>. like <laughs> some racism <laughs> thrown in. Yes. It's a lot. But then the third thing happens. Now we go on to a completely new different thing, <laughs> which is a, a car driving up to Briarcliff with a, a lady, a lady in it, because you don't see her face for a while. And she's like, I'm no. here to I'm here to to, to see about the bakery. Cause Sarah Paulson mm-hmm. like puts on a very, I don't know. She's got like such a sweet little voice in, in this. Yeah, she does. With this character. With Lana. Lana Winters. A bad attempt to do it. I'm here to see the bakery. <laughs> Lana Winters. <laughs> she's like, she's way too smart for that voice. She's doing that voice to make people feel comfortable around her or on or undermine yeah. her so that she can get more information. I love Lana Winters. I think this could be maybe my favorite character of all of American Horror Story. Oh, wow. Definitely up there. Top two, top three, at least top three. I mean, no, she's spectacular. So Lana is there to supposedly write a story about the bakery that runs out of the Briarcliff Asylum. But really, she's there to try to get a scoop on Bloody Face, this serial killer that is due to be arriving at Briarcliff and is, you know, well, I mean, we don't get that much information about him yet, but 
is said to be a famed and feared serial killer who's called Bloody Face because he wears supposedly a mask made of human flesh over his head. Yes, he does do that. <laughs> As you do. So then we meet Sister Jude, who's played by Jessica Lang. What did you make of Sister Jude? I I love the this is the thing I love how both Sarah Paulson and Jessica Lange always modulate their voice in between the seasons mm. like they're always doing a slightly different accent um and I don't know regionally what accent she's doing in the show I'll be honest um mm-hmm. but it's very like tough like no nonsense In in the way that Constance was sort of fake and welcoming, but in such a fake way, Jude is like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Why are you bothering me? She keeps yelling at her her assistant nun. She's very blunt. Yeah, like there's a a bluntness, both in the way that she speaks, but Mm. I think also in her voice. Yes. And I think... This shows such a, a such a platform for people to show their talent because you really get to see season between season how different they can make themselves come across. Mm. Like how much of a transformation they can do between each character. And like, and she doesn't even look that different. She's still got her, you know, blonde hair. If we can stay on Sister Jude for a bit. So we, we get... A very intense introduction to all the main characters of this season. And Sister Jude gets gets a whole bunch of screen time. And part of it is her interaction with Lana, where she's very smart, also very condescending. And then her interactions with her staff, uh, namely Sister Mary Eunice, who we'll come back to in a bit. But then also with the Monsignor. So... I found her relationship with the Monsignor, who's played by Joseph Fiennes, really interesting because she like she's this hard-edged, very sort of you know, aggressively moralistic, also quite sadistic character. Like you know, she's sort of a nurse ratchet type vibe. But then when she talks about the Monsignor, her voice also sort of almost goes up an octave and she's like sounds a little bit like a schoolgirl with a crush like that's the vibe that she's sort of channeling in there can we talk about the scene where they have dinner yes oh my god yeah and (laughs) and the way this scene is shot is amazing because you have this choral music it's like oh, da, da, da. and she's she's making this elaborate meal with mm. like there's like mushrooms and shallots cooking she's wearing a red slip and she's like putting and she's putting the perfume on and like that very like oh dab dab mm, taking in the scent like it's yep. the whole process of her getting ready is so erotic and then what i love is she turns up at the table and she's like in her habit with the the um veil and everything mm. and, and it's like <laughs> it's it's her living her secret fantasy i guess because yes. she can only be a sexual woman entirely in private and not around especially not around men so she she sort of has the fantasy of the date yeah because you know of imagining this is a date with the monsignor but then when you actually see them at the table she's just, it's just a nun and uh, a priest sitting having dinner and that's it I love I love the scene 
for so many reasons and one of them like what you're saying it's like her inner fantasy life and the fact that the show shows us that but kind of then you know like he described kind of completely changes tone for that one scene to make it super clear it's a fantasy but then there's the other element of like this I don't know how they've done it but in this scene she goes from you know this you know she's sort of clean faced and very you know tightly wound nun and then suddenly she sort of starts unbuttoning her habit and reveals this red satin whatchamacallit like negligee or whatever and the music starts swelling and she takes off her she like takes off her veil and she, you know Jessica Lang as well the the point that I'm trying to make is that Jessica Lang is like over 50. Maybe she's even in her 60s at this point. And she's a gorgeous, beautiful woman. And like there's very few instances on screen where older women are allowed to be presented as sexual and beautiful and as having desires and having fantasies. And the way this scene is shot, it kind of She's not de-aged, she's not trying to, you know, not look her age. She's just very embodied and very powerful and gorgeous. And, you know, it's a very sensual scene where she sort of imagines coming on to the Monsignor and having these, like, encounter. And she's allowed to be incredibly alluring. And I love that for... I love American Horse, though, for that. I think it's one of the really great things about the way that it creates characters not just for Jessica Lange but for also for older actresses who are allowed to play quite sexy and complicated and unlikable characters yeah and for the the men sometimes to be younger as well mm. instead of the dynamic always being the younger woman and the older man like this show has a tendency to flip that on its head which I I always like because that's what that's the thing. That's as you said. It's so incredibly rare to see this. So Bloody Face arrives into Briarcliff, and Bloody Face is revealed to be Kit. <gasps> <laughs> and through his introduction to Briarcliff, we kind of learn the lay of the land. We meet some of the other characters to support the patients. We kind of see the dynamics at play in this place. So, what did you make of the? the aesthetics of the insane asylum oh i guess it's like very drawn from every other cinematic representation i mean you know i don't i like i i guess it it does seem sort of like a fantasy version of it because it's so exaggerated how sort of gothic and 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 we you know and like they mm. go to the the break room and um it's that song, the Dominica, Nica, Nica, like that song just plays over and over and over on a loop. So this is sort of very conscious effort to to make it horror, but also um, mm. they are sort of basing this season on, I mean, getting into insensitive historical references, <laughs> um, <laughs> but they are basing this season, you know, off the sort of real life historical abuses that happened and in mental institutions during specifically the 60s is really the, the decade where a lot of this came to light. And when you look at the photographs of these places and how sort of desperately underserved they were and, and just dark and cold and, and just such like 
unhomely, unwelcoming, prison-like atmospheres. Um, it's, I think there is like a, a, there's a little bit of authenticity to how Briarcliff is represented. Mm. It's so th- there's the gothic of it, but I think they are coming from a real place and just sort of exaggerating that until it fits the aesthetics of American Horror Story. What did you think of the the other patients that were introduced to? So we get Shelley, who is played by Chloe Savini and who's a nymphomaniac. Uh, we get Pepper, who's set to drown her sister's baby. Uh, we get Grace, who is French, and she says, <laughs> that's not... Who's French? She's Sorry, French, that's weird. why she's there. <laughs> they discovered she's French, so <laughs> immediately... <laughs> Sent her to the institution. No, they are. <laughs> I'm French. I'm allowed to say that. I'm joking about myself. I should just put out. <laughs> She's French, and she she introduces herself as like being sane. Uh, but what's said about her is that she killed her entire family, and she does she does seem sane, and she kind of like explains the lay of the land to Kit. Yeah, who is also sort of on the same page as her having been accused of these horrific things but he's coming in saying like i'm just Mm. you know look we don't we don't know what happened at this point but he's coming in saying that he's sane and he didn't do anything he doesn't know what anyone's talking about i don't know it's like it's it's interesting whenever you have like cinematic representations of mental institutions because like it's problematic it's sort of problematic to make that place seem scary because it's just Mm. a a hospital like there's nothing scary about it and you know it's obviously offensive to imply that there's anything horror-esque about the the people who stay there um but Mm. then I guess yeah that's the other thing with asylum it is specifically talking about how it's not the people who are there it's the place that is a, a create it that's the play the place is evil because it it brings all these people like yeah a lot of these people just they're being accused of having done all these horrific things but you know they all come off innocent they all come off kind you know peppy we first meet pepper and and she she gives lana a flower and she seems like really sweet and then uh sister Mm -hmm. eunice is like she drowned her sister's baby and sliced off its ears and and I think from that first instance, like in this very first episode, like you meet all these people and instantly it doesn't, it like you can tell something's wrong about this place. Because it's like, why mm-hmm. are none of these people, are, none of these people are, are dangerous, right? They, they all just seem kind and, and potentially misunderstood. From the very beginning, it, plays around I think with this dual narrative of kind of what are people saying about themselves and what are people saying about others so namely kind of you know Pepper is a great example but so is Kid of you know we meet them first and then we're told that they're savage murderers but we've got nothing aside from this, you know, other characters on the on the show telling us that they're savage murderers, we've got no other information to go off. So we can either kind of always choose to believe the person in question, or we can choose to believe the things that are being said about them. And it's kind of, I think, 
with this episode we're really introduced to this idea that's going to be I think one of the main themes of the season of you know who to believe and in a way even with the patient do they believe themselves or do they believe the things that they're being told about themselves constantly and it's kind of like trying to grasp to this idea of who am I really am I the thing that this institution keeps telling me I am or and that I'm bad or or am I actually fine and that's interesting because I I, in this episode when we're we're meeting all these characters I think it also it, it introduces us to this idea of like what what do we consider what is sanity and what is considered mm. normal and abnormal like because the characters who run the place like don't seem like a don't seem like great great people <laughs> but also seem to have a lot of sort of problems <laughs> a sort of psych they have seem to have a lot of psychological <laughs> problems that would potentially need addressing mm. but they're the people who run this place who are overseeing people who yeah. who are showing kindness to each other and and just you know not showing any malice but they're the people who are uh yeah it's just interesting the contrast because you have somebody like mary eunice sister mary eunice who uh, i don't know if we can fast forwarding to this section i'll i'll sum up the incident with her because <laughs> um, she runs into lana in the institution and she allows Lana to start sneaking around the institution and start looking around because she's looking at the bloody face. And, and mm-hmm. so the next morning, sister Jude tells her off just yelling at her saying, how dare you, you put this whole institution at risk. And she starts to hover her, she puts her hand towards a, a cane to go and whip her mm-hmm. butt, which is a common theme in this season. A lot of butt. It whipping. will come up. Um, and uh, Mary Eunice goes to the cupboard in the corner, opens it, and is like, "It isn't. What is it that she says? Like, it isn't big enough. You need a bigger one." And she gets out yeah. this bigger stick so she- to be like, "Please hit my butt with the bigger stick. It, like, it doesn't hurt enough." And you're like, "Well, that is a. You need to see a therapist or something because that's not good for your mental health, Mary." Eunice. Makes sense. And also, you know, it's the it's the dynamic, like this this whole dynamic between the staff of Briarcliff is introduced in kind of quite a sadomasochistic masochistic way. Uh, because, you know, Sister May Eunice is like asking, thinking that she's so guilty and she deserves corporal punishment. And then we're introduced to Dr. Arden, who's played by the amazing James Cromwell, who is always excellent, and when he dials up the creepy, that'll do. Pierce, <laughs> sorry, he's so. <laughs> as a very short aside, James Cromwell is one of those incredible character actors who has two ranges. He is either the most benevolent, like you know, trustworthy character on screen who will protect you and always give you a lift, or he is literally the most sadistic horrifying presence that will haunt your nightmares so he's like on the haunt your nightmares end of the scale in this episode he tries to essentially cut into kit he tries to vivisect him he's like oh you know i'm not gonna use anesthetic because it interferes with my readings i was like this is a man who clearly is 
an incredibly sadistic surgeon and probably has some deeper darker shit that he's working on and that that dynamic between him and sister jude is so intensely antagonistic from the very beginning so they're like two opposing forces pulling at each other and sister jude is sadistic in her own way that's kind of mostly based around her intense faith and dr arden is obviously a sadist but that's more around his i guess the way that he would justify it being scientific curiosity but it's like no you're both just abusing people yeah and the idea that they they're the people who run this place they're not the patients is Mm -hmm. interesting yep so that's that's the level yeah and i guess the only other important thing to mention is that um uh Mary, Sister Mary Eunice. I never know. Can we just call her Mary, or does she have to be Sister Mary Eunice every single time? Um, I think we can make that call. Sister Mary Eunice. She is somehow <laughs> working with Doctor Arden because Doctor Arden sends her out with a bucket of offal to go feed something in the woods near Briarcliff. Yes, there's a. a the bushes start rattling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which in movie in the movies we know that it's because there's a some sort of monstery creature person in the bushes going no 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 no. Well they literally go no 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 in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like universal <laughs> movie language for there's something creepy in the bushes because they shake and go rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and it's never it's yeah. never just like a dog or something i think the only other kind of big thing that happens in this episode is that lana winters who we meet earlier is kind of like the plucky ambitious journalist she gets locked up in briarcliff because sister jude goes to her house and blackmails her partner wendy by the way played by the very great Claire Duvall. She blackmails Wendy into committing Lana into the institution because they're they're gay and they're living together. Their house is amazing, by the way, just as an offside, just absolute interior design goals. But the point being is that Sister Jude threatens Wendy with revealing that she is in a same-sex relationship and ending Wendy's teaching career and kind of blacklisting her from education and instead kind of says you have to you have to lock Lana up and this is the first kind of truly truly sadistic moment where Sister Jude literally just wants Lana there because she was offended by her, by her kind of trying to get a, score, a story, a scoop on Bloody Face. And she she literally wants her to be locked in in a mental institution so she can torture her. And she knows that she can use the fact that she's gay against her as a, as a at that time, reason for um, imprisoning her. Also, she seems pretty homophobic in general. So. Oh yeah, she's the worst. There's still a little bit of Constance there. 
there's the red negligee and the homophobia. Yeah. I feel like there's one thing, one other thing that we should probably mention quickly that when Dr. Arden is uh, sort of experimenting on Kit, um, he feels a bump on his neck and decides to take a knife and just have a little poke and see what's in there. And a chip, a a computer chip with legs scurries out and just runs away. And now there's an alien computer chip sentient alien computer chip chip with little insect legs somewhere in the asylum running around little little spider chip i'm very i'm very glad you mentioned that because i did not remember that (laughs) and it really freaked me out (laughs) there's a different version of this season which is just like ratatouille from the the little alien chips perspective (laughs) as it runs around I mean that that whole scene is you know the when you find like a spider in your house and you're like oh fine it's just a spider I'll just either throw it out or I'll I'll kill it and then the spider jumps and you're like oh no <laughs> it's got special powers <laughs> it's got special powers <laughs> yes <laughs> terrifying oh my, my biggest fear my second biggest yes. fear. so should we move on to our episode award categories yes i don't know how you feel about this i feel like we should add an extra category i felt like there was quite a big amount of cinematic references in this episode and it's like if this is gonna be a big thing i feel like it should be its own section because to be fair those it came up a lot in Murder House, so we pr- we could have had that category, I think, last season. But yeah, I think it just increases, it intensifies from this point on. <laughs> yes. so it's worth. I think it's worth having its own category. Okay, amazing. Let's start with our top quote of the episode. This is, uh, Sister Jude to Doctor Arden. I always win against the patriarchal male. Yes. Just a good girl power moment. I don't really want Sister Jude in my in my girl power girl gang, but it, it's a very good line. <laughs> no. I think mine has to be when Shelley, uh Chloe Savigny, Kit comes in into the common room and she is like trying to literally climb all over him. And she <laughs> there's a POV shot of kind of from Kit's point of view and we just see Chloe Savini like super haggard and intense just being like I speak French and Greek <laughs> I just love her delivery oh yeah why would that make her better at sex I honestly I had to like pause for a minute I was like what is Greek and wait what's French like this is 1964 what do these things mean I did not google it I have no idea but I loved her delivery of like, this is like the most depraved sex acts. <laughs> I'm going to read the Iliad in its original language while we have sex. Mm. <laughs> Maybe she's a uh, ancestor of Jenna Devan Tatum's character. Who just wants to fuck in asylums. <laughs> yeah, she just wants to fuck in a library. In a language library. <laughs> 
Okay, so moving on to top naked man moment of the episode. There's um, only one, I think. Yeah, Evan oh, Peters. No, no Adam oh. Levine. You don't pick Adam Levine over Evan Peters? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So me, mean to Adam Levine. Um, don't get me started again. I could, I, I could go on for another like twenty minutes about how much I hate his character. <laughs> Sorry, best, best bud, best bud, Evan Peters. But in a, a, I'll be honest, like aggressively non-sexual context. Yeah. You see his butt while he's being, like, showered and flowered. I want to say they like throw flour on him. Oh yeah, I think that what they throw on him or like it's not flour. It's uh disinfectant. You see that a lot in kind of oh uh, films set in prisons or mental institutions. It's kind of like very quick, mass and cost effective way of I guess like or it was of disinfecting new patients, new inmates. You see that in the Shawshank Redemption as well. That's the one that comes to mind. Oh yeah. Mm. So it's like it's like a powdered like a powdered soap, powdered disinfectant. Yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly what it's supposed to be, but it's definitely kind of something that I've seen a lot in prison movies. Yeah. So yeah, not a sexual context at all. Yeah. But um look, when we've got limited choices, <laughs> you work with it. You gotta work with the butt you got. <laughs> Work with the butt you've got. I love that. <laughs> so there's there's quite a few cinematic references in this episode alone. Uh, what was your what was your favorite one? Uh, the full Clockwork Orange nice. when Doctor Arden is experimenting on Kit, and it's the full the. I don't actually even know it, but you know with the eyes, yeah, and the the little claw holding the eyes open. Yeah, when they yeah when they hold the eyes open, and also like Evan Peters, it does remind me quite a lot of young Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, he looks like that shot mm. is like a pretty accurate recreation of the same shot from A Clockwork Orange, which is weird because for me that contraption in A Clockwork Orange is just the depraved fantasy of that movie, and I guess Stanley Kubrick's imagination. Like that whole what you know how it looks like and how mm. it operates exactly. Um, I'm assuming it's not. I don't know. I'm assuming it's not based on any sort of reality because that's horrific. I mean, I don't know. I actually wouldn't put it past real life doctors to have come up with something like that because that sort of idea of yeah. um, therapy, like there's a name for it that I can't remember now of kind of this version of therapy where you're forced to watch images. And then associate those images with the thing that they're trying to avoid you to do. So, like, if it's a thing where, you know, we have to avoid having sex, then they show you oh, horrific like images. Repulsion, revulsion yes, therapy? Yes, that's the one. But here, he's not even doing that. He's just that uh, has his eyes open. Yeah, which, you know, <laughs> in a nutshell, that's AHS for you. I also picked up on one pretty cool reference to Silence of the Lambs. Did you notice it? No, because I've only seen Silence of the Lambs once and I hated every second of it. Not because it's it's a, a f incredible movie, but because of my name, I couldn't deal with it. Didn't like it. Very fair. Okay. So there's there's a scene when Lana first arrives to Briarcliff. She's sort of led through this dark, uh, grimy, like, brick corridor with um, closed off cells 
on this on each side and one of the inmates throws not come he throws shit at the at sister mary eunice and it's literally the way it's shot the fact that it's an outsider you know a journalist not a, an fbi agent in this case uh and the fact that you know there's a there's a mentally ill patient who throws some sort of bodily fluid at a woman's face kind of it's all replicated in that scene and i was like ah my favorite movie the most horrific right. scene in my favorite movie yeah. yeah i thought it was i thought it was pretty great that's clever moving on to insensitive historical reference of the week you mentioned there were several yeah well this is going to be a bit difficult this season because <laughs> yes. pretty much Every single character, the location, the context of this story is all drawn from something in real life. Mm. So, um, I mean, we could, yeah, instead of like rattling through every single one that's introduced in this episode, I've picked one that I think is the most, uh, the most relevant to this, Mm -hmm. to this episode, which is the origins of Kit and Alma are based on a couple called Barney and Betty Hill, who uh, in 1961 claimed that they were abducted by aliens. And it was the first widely publicized report um, of an attempted abduction. And they were also an interracial couple. I don't think that factored at all into the abduction claims itself or the story behind it. Um, But... I don't know. I read that they were based on that couple and it would make sense. That makes a lot of sense. And you're right, we're going to have to pick and choose <laughs> which one uh, we, we, <laughs> we float up yeah. each episode. But I thought to get that one out of the way because that, that we did see the abduction in this episode. Yeah. And also like the the way that Sister Jude talks because she talks mentions the abduction and says, ooh, little green men, you know, what a ridiculous excuse which i think suggests that maybe in the world of american horror story uh that claims of alien abduction were not normal at that point Mm -hmm. and so perhaps they are the first couple to to claim that this happened to them or the first kit is the first person to claim that this happened Mm. to them and also well the interesting about that story they weren't actually abducted as in they didn't go anywhere so I don't know why this is the first, historically the first alien abduction, because uh, what what happened apparently is that they were driving along and then there was a big light hmm. and and a big light and a little spaceship came down and they could see all the little dudes in the spaceship <laughs> being like, hey, we're little tiny Martians. <laughs> and then I think they kept, they tried to escape and they managed to escape the um, but that was their claim. They were like, we saw in the spaceship and there were little people inside of the spaceship. Which again, not making any judgment on the claims, just saying those are the claims. You see, when you when you mentioned the like the, the big light and the tiny spaceship and the tiny Martians, I just instantly thought of Futurama and Lilu's pet that turns out to be like some um alien lord uh, with immense powers, but is actually just presented as a little cute alien that likes to eat stuff <laughs> like a little pug alien <laughs> yes to wrap up our categories do you think there was an mvp of this episode i think dr arden Ooh. because 
he's just experimenting on Kit and and like nobody knows what he's doing and nobody can figure out what he's doing and the whole episode is Sister Jude being like oh I'm gonna find out what you're doing and then you're gonna be in so much trouble Dr. Arden mm. and he's like yeah you try it you try it sister yeah I think we've got the we've got the setup they're going to be antagonizing each other but Dr. Arden's just kind of steadfast confidence in his own ability and just like the the way that he lies to Sister Jude's face is quite I mean like it's it's impressive when you know when she like goes in and finds him cleaning up bleaching a room that has literal claw marks or like you know the remnants of someone clawing at the walls and she's like someone has been here what the fuck have you been doing and he's like what are you talking about there's nothing here he's like the sadistic doctor equivalent of that shaggy song you know wasn't me and he's like (laughs) no what are you on about like that wasn't me there's nothing here you're just seeing things crazy woman (laughs) climax on the wall it wasn't me (laughs) (laughs) awful in the woods it wasn't me (laughs) Before patient disappeared, it was me. <laughs> okay, so before I pass out, what could we expect from the next episode? Well, like in the next episode, an exorcist is coming. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> Get ready. Some exercising is going to go on. And I'm not talking about the kind that builds your muscles. <laughs> this is the level. I love it. We'll be back next Wednesday with the next episode of American Horror Story Asylum. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. I'm on at Clarice Lou. And I am on Anna P. Demented. Awful in the woods. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> Oh my god. Can you just sing that every episode? (laughs) (laughs) Be the theme too. Climax on the ball. It wasn't me. me. (laughs) It wasn't me. It's single coming soon from the next Supremes. Parcours le repapier, Scandinavie ou Provence dans la sainte pauvreté. Dominique, Nick, Nick s'en allait tout simplement, routier, pauvre et chantant. En tout chemin, en tout lieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu.